It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's Thursday. It's April 2nd, 2015, and it's time for my private audio call. Tonight, our special guest speakers are back by popular demand. You know them as Bart Ripple and Bobby Lohman. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Angela. Hi. Um, Before we get started, and oh, let me just mention the topics we're going to cover tonight because you were kind enough to send me that. we don't have to, this is not written in stone, so you can move on to other things if you feel led to, but uh, what the topics you said you were going to cover were getting and staying out of the system, and two, proper federal criminal procedure. So that'll be coming up, you guys. That will make it an interesting call, I'm sure. Before we get started, though, I wanted to let everybody know I got a letter from Rocco Vanzetti. Rocco used to always be on our call. I mean, he had his own call, too, with um, Bo. It was the Bo and Rocco show on Wednesday night. And after Rocco got taken into custody, it turned into Bo and Tammy, Tammy Pepperman. So um, you all probably remember him. He's always a wise guy in our chat. He's very on-the-ball on guy. But uh, I'm going to read his letter briefly. I'm not going to go into all of it, I don't think. But uh, just so you guys get a feel for what's going on, um, uh, if anybody wants to talk to him, they can mail him, uh, write him, and um, or if anybody wants to talk to him by phone, um, they have to set up a uh, prepaid phone account by contacting Securus S E C U R. U.S. at 800-844-86, I'm sorry, 844-6591. Again, that number is 800-844-6591. This is for, you want to talk to Rocco Vanzetti? Uh, He said, I will not sign anything that makes the Department of Corrections an agent for me, so I didn't sign to receive mail in the name of Robert Larson. Robert Richard is the lawful name on the public record. My, oh, his, I guess they call their cellmate a cellie. My cellie has agreed to receive mail for me. To send me mail, send it to, okay, you get your friends ready. And also, the email for this, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay, the name is Kenneth Ingersoll, I-N-G-E-R-S-O-L-L, hashtag or pound sign 370717. Again, that's Kenneth Ingersoll, hashtag or pound sign 370717, and that's...
see if I could read it on here. G-A-I-N-E, is that right? Correctional Institution, I'll give you the address. P.O. Box 900, Milwaukee West. And that's in... Oh, man, I can't read it. But S-T-E-R-T-E. Stuart Bant, Wisconsin. If anybody knows what this is, type it in the chat because... Uh, I would like to be able to write him and but I can't tell you the name of the correctional institution. I tell you what, I'll look this up later and I'll post it on the website. Um PS tell everyone I miss them. I have written Bo and Tammy but I haven't received a response. PSS I miss you and your talk show like you can't even imagine. I thought that was sweet. If anybody wants to send me funds, just mail to P.O. Box 909 instead. Postal money orders only, and that's to that address that I will have to post later because I'm sorry. I I should have looked this up, but I thought it was, I don't know, Milwaukee West, Wisconsin. He's in Wisconsin. I'll look it up later. All right, sorry guys, sorry I took up so much time with that. I should have been more prepared. All right, Bart and Bobby, go ahead. It's all yours. Thanks, Angela. That was uh, nice of you to, to make that information available. And yeah, well, to I have get to, it the, uh, get it on the chat here too, or whatever you can get it. But uh, thanks for the opportunity for uh, Bobby and I to talk to everybody tonight. Hello, folks. It's an honor. On behalf of Bobby, it's an honor and a pleasure for us to, to come and talk on the show. We really enjoy it, and uh, we really enjoy the, the spirited uh, discussions that we have and the conversations in the chat room are always fun. And uh, Bobby and I got together, uh, I believe it was uh, last week, maybe the week before, and we wanted to talk about, you know, discuss what we would talk about on the upcoming an upcoming uh, talk show show. And uh, we kind of wanted to go off on something new because we've, kind of beaten promissory notes to death. We've talked a lot about uh, criminal complaints and other matters, and I, I suggested a couple topics that Bobby liked. So uh, in no particular order, we wanted to talk about uh, getting out of the system and, and staying out and things that you can do uh, if you want to just remove yourself from the matrix. Uh, and then also uh, the other topic we wanted to discuss tonight was proper federal indictment procedure. Uh, I know the website said proper federal criminal procedure, but uh, either one is, is synonymous, but for that we wanted to kind of use as a template a very excellent treatise that was drafted in April of 2000 by a gentleman by the name of Dan Medor, who unfortunately is no longer with us. I believe he passed away a, a year or two after uh, releasing this article or this uh, uh, treatise that he wrote on proper federal indictment procedure. But it's a, a brilliant piece of work, uh, fantastic, and I've got got it here on my desktop. For anybody who wants to send me an email. Uh, I'll be happy to uh, send you a copy of what I have here. I'm being told on the chat here that I'm coming in faintly. Uh, I don't know how to change that, folks. I'm on a landline, so this isn't actually a cell. This is a landline. <clears throat> get, maybe get closer to the mic part of the phone. I don't know. I'll try to. Is that a little bit? Hopefully, that's a little better. I'll put my. Yeah, that's a lot a better. A little closer here. Okay. There we go. All right. I'll try to 
make sure everybody can hear me. But anyway, if for anybody who's interested in receiving this uh, 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 proper federal, federal indictment procedure treatise by Dan Meador, I'll be happy to send it to you. I'll be giving out my email address here uh, well, before the end of the show. So uh, just send me an email, and I'll send it off to you. But it's uh, it's really excellent. Uh, excellent he was a paralegal. I don't know what he was, but he was a very intelligent man, and I, I give props where props are due, and he wrote a terrific article that we kind of wanted to, Bobby and I wanted to kind of use as a template for our conversation okay. tonight. So, Bobby, why don't we go ahead and just kind of kick off with that right now. Would that be okay with you? Uh, yeah, but uh, let me get out in front of the computer. I was thinking we were going to do the other one first. Okay. Well, do you want to do the other one? I thought that would be a good one to end with, but if you'd rather, do you want to leave with that one? We can. <clears throat> no, that's okay. Excuse me. I don't mean to cough on you. I just can't help it. Mm. By the way, uh, folks, and I do need to uh, do this. Is the, I, I forgot this part. Uh, this is the CYA portion of the call. Uh, Bobby and I do have to let you know that uh, neither one of us are attorneys, so we're not licensed to give legal, uh, tax, or financial advice or anything along those lines. Uh, so if uh, anybody is looking for legal advice on this call, please consult a licensed professional. Uh, the information that we're discussing on this call is intended for intentional purposes uh, only. Uh, excuse me, for informational purposes only, uh, and is not intended, or nor should it be construed as legal advice. So, there we go. Having said that, um, Bobby, you okay to lead off with uh, with uh, meter? Yeah, I've got it uh, right here. Let me. Well, what just to kind of kick things off here too, and, and Bobby, jump in whenever you want. But um, again, I'm 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 qualifying things here. I'm using this as a template tonight just to kind of get uh, get this information out there. But uh, Meter writes that, uh, you know, when you're looking, uh, examining the federal rules of criminal procedure, it's it's important to know that what these rules are there for is to pursue, preserve constitu constitutionally secured rights. Uh, and the authority for the Supreme Court to promulgate rules of procedure can be found at 28 U.S.C. Uh, 2072 uh, and 2072B, uh, regarding preserving rights and says such rules shall not abridge, enlarge, or modify any substantive right. So uh, basically the federal rules of civil and criminal procedure preserve constitutionally secured rights. So you really need to know the three amendments that govern the federal criminal prosecution. And these are obviously your fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments. So I encourage folks, if you have those in front of you, read through them. You can do that either while we're on this call or you know at your convenience. But uh, really, Bobby, everything kicks off at Rule 3, right? Yes, it does, Bart. And I'm glad you brought that up about 28, uh, 2072 and 2072B because, you know, I've been telling people, I preach this all the time, common law is embedded in the statute. It has to be because otherwise what they're doing is totally lawless. And I, that's why people need to start studying thinking about this stuff and learning it. Because if you don't, they're going to get by you and you're going to end up in a bad position. And one of the biggest violations they do is of the Fourth Amendment, which is the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Now, 
anybody who's ever been through a federal tax prosecution or, for that matter, many of the other federal criminal prosecutions, do they start with a complaint? Absolutely not. They're always going straight in for an indictment. Well, here's the problem with that. There's no oath or affirmation to protect you. The reason that that warrant has to be supported by oath or affirmation is that's like your insurance. So somebody can be held accountable if they screw up. And yet, they never do it in the federal courts. Okay? So, and these are all courts of limited jurisdiction. Okay? And once you challenge it, they're required to prove it. Now, Let's see here in Meter's treatise. He talks about Article 1, Section 8, um, that the federal government lacks subject matter jurisdiction within the union. That'll be a whole separate uh, section to cover because anybody who's ever read the what they call the Eisenhower Report is fully aware that Congress has no legislative jurisdiction within the several states unless there's been a session of title and jurisdiction to the United States from the state and an acceptance thereof by the United States. Hey, Bobby, not to that? interrupt you, let's, let's make a mental note. Maybe that might be a topic to bring up for a future call. You're right, that is yeah. a separate matter altogether. So let's make a mental note. Yeah, and for further study on that, just look at Title 40. It's former Section 255 which is now in sections 3111 and 3112. But for the purpose of tonight's uh, call, we're going to go through the federal rules of criminal procedure, okay? Uh, I'm looking for rule three here. And, Bobby, you're right. Meter does address this. He says, the, and he says the first most people know of a federal investigation is when they receive a summons in the mail with something similar to an indictment attached to it, or they're arrested on a warrant with an, an indictment attached. And, um, right. Is, uh, right. However, and whether arrested or summoned, the target's first court appearance is at the alleged arraignment after the grand jury has supposedly issued an indictment. So really what, in effect, they're doing, the way they're doing it, at least with this, these federal cases, many of which are tax cases, is they're completely, and I'm probably we're both probably preaching to the choir here talking to you folks about this, but they're completely trashing the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, the due process rights secured by those amendments and in the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. Bobby? Right. Right. And, you know, what makes it apparent is when you understand your state's criminal procedure law, because here in New York, that Rule 9, Federal Rule 9 warrant that they're issuing with the indictment, that is normally not allowed to be issued until after you've been arraigned. And if you haven't been arraigned, they got to have the Rule 3 complaint with a warrant. Now, here's Rule 3 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, the complaint. The complaint is a written statement of the essential facts constituting the offense charged. It shall be made upon oath before a magistrate judge. Now, I know several people that have challenged federal uh, court's jurisdiction on the lack of this complaint because they just issued a warrant based on the indictment. 
and without fail, they come back and they rely on this one case. I think it's Gerstein versus Pugh. And when you look at that case, it has nothing to do with it. And what was going on in that case, if that's one that I'm thinking of, excuse me, is Congress tried to issue a subpoena to some bureaucrat, and he refused it and claimed they needed a, a oath or affirmation, and they came and pinched his butt, you know, held him in contempt, I think is what happened. But that's really interesting because the court said, yeah, they could do that. And why? Because this guy's a government bureaucrat. Now, that may be what's going on in these IRS prosecutions. I don't know, but I suspect it. Okay? Then you move on to Rule 4. Arrest warrant or summons upon complaint. Uh, let's see here. Right, and those warrants are issued subsequent to a probable cause hearing. <laughs> right. Uh, excuse me, Mark, could you pull up Rule 4? Yeah. And, and we'll show people what that is. Right. I know there's rule four yeah, rule four arrest warrant or summons on a complaint. You want me to read uh, issuance? Yeah. Okay. If the complaint or one or more affidavits filed with the complaint establish probable cause to believe that an offense has been committed and that the defendant committed it, the judge must issue an arrest warrant to an officer authorized to execute it. At the request of an attorney for the government, the judge must issue a summons instead of a warrant to a person authorized to serve it. A judge may issue more than one warrant or summons on the same complaint. If a defendant fails to appear in response to a summons, the judge may, and upon request of an attorney for the government, must issue a warrant. So there you go. If the right. complaint or one or more affidavits filed with the complaint establish probable cause. There you go. See, what happens, the way they're doing it, is you're denied your preliminary examination of the witnesses against you. Because, remember, there's a case called Briscoe versus LaHue, and the courts ruled that, yeah, the cops can lie on the stand at trial, and they're immune. So you can't hold them accountable. So where is it you get to confront them? It's at that preliminary hearing or preliminary examination, depending on what your state rules call it, okay? So if they don't follow that procedure, the court loses subject matter jurisdiction. Anybody have questions about that? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Does anybody have anything they want to ask or comment on at this point? We kind of want to try to make this as interactive. We don't want to just sit up here and drone on everybody, you know, incessantly. If you guys want to chime in, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, if anybody has a question, raise your hand by pressing star 8, and that'll put you up in the queue. Right now, I've got Rainbow Pony God. Has their hand up. Go ahead, Rainbow. Uh, yeah, you say that uh, a witness cannot be prosecuted. Um, you know, up here in Canada, it's more or less, if you can catch them, if they purge themselves or they give conflicting evidence that you can prosecute. Is it different down in the States? 
down here, what they've ruled is when cops lie on the stand at trial is that they're they're immune from perjury charges. Basic, well, I shouldn't say that. I have to go back and read Briscoe versus LaHue, but it gives them free reign to lie on the stand at trial. Okay? So if that's the case, the question arises, where do you get them held responsible by taking an oath to what they're testifying to? And where do you get to confront the witnesses against you? It's at the preliminary examination. You could verify this by going and studying your, you know, I realize you're in Canada, so it's probably a bit different. But here in the States, in all the 50 states, when you go and study the criminal procedure, you'll find that if you're arrested for an actual criminal act, and I'm talking about something that's uh constitutes a breach of the peace or a public nuisance um, or anything that has jail time attached to it in excess of 15 days and less than one year because that's what a misdemeanor is. Anything over one year uh, is a felony. And if you're seized for something like that, you have the right to have a preliminary hearing, call it a probable cause hearing, where you put the witness on the stand under oath and you get to ask him questions to destroy the probable cause. And that's where you get to confront the witnesses against you, not at trial. And at that point, Bobby, if there's no probable cause established, then you can move the court to have the case dismissed. Right. But if there is probable cause established, then at that point, the defendant in the case is bound over to the grand jury. And then... We go through the whole grand jury process of Rule 6. Right. And if Sorry, Bobby, I don't want to jump ahead of you. Go ahead. No, no. No, no. I'm glad you are because it's hard for me to keep talking here tonight, Mark. Excuse me a second. <laughs> I apologize. I have one hell of a head cold. Anyways, when when you get that preliminary hearing, that is that's where you win. If, indeed, you didn't commit the crime. Now, if you've committed the crime, well, you know, you're kind of screwed. You can't change the facts. And you may, at that point, have to go to trial. But if you find yourself heading to trial, you've missed something at the lower level that is really important. And like I said, what they want to do is rely on that one case where this guy, a government bureaucrat, claimed they needed ultra affirmation to seize him on this summons thing, and they said, no, 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 no. Well, if, in fact, that people who have Social Security numbers are considered federal personnel, that might explain why they're doing this in these tax cases. Now, it used to be, all oh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, that if you didn't get your preliminary hearing, they would give you an opportunity to go before the grand jury and explain yourself. Because once that indictment issues, it's prima facie proof of probable cause. And once you're convicted, that establishes probable cause for the arrest when you're convicted and sentenced. So you need to challenge it at the earliest stage. 
Okay. Like Mr. Meter says, the federal courts are presently relying on Rule 9A, warrant or summons upon indictment or information. Now, mind you, of the information is something that's filed by the prosecutor. Well, where does the prosecutor get jurisdiction to seek an indictment or file an information if someone's not filing the complaint? That Rule 3 complaint is everything. Okay? This is Rule 9A in the relative part. Upon the request of the attorney for the government, the court shall issue a warrant for each defendant named in an information supported by a showing of probable cause under oath as is required by Rule 4A. Or in an indictment. More than one summons or one blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Uh, when a defendant arrested with a warrant or given a summons appears initially before a magistrate judge, the magistrate judge shall proceed in the accordance with the applicable divisions of Rule 5. But, like Mr. Meter says, they go right to Rule 10, the arraignment, rather than going back to Rule 5. Okay, Rule 5 is your initial appearance before the magistrate judge. Uh... Okay. Bart, have you got Rule 5 there? Unfortunately, it's not here in Mr. Meter's material. Yeah, Rule 5. Rule 5 is the initial appearance. So okay. Appearance upon arrest. A person making an arrest within the United States must take the defendant without unnecessary delay before a magistrate judge or before a state or local judicial officer, as Rule 5C provides, unless the statute provides otherwise. Um, There are exceptions, but uh, arrest without a warrant, uh, place of trial, initial appearance. Just looking ahead here. Oh, yeah, procedure in a felony case. So let's assume this is for the sake of discussion, Bobby. This is a felony. Uh, If the defendant is charged with a felony, the judge must inform the defendant of the following. The complaint against the defendant and any affidavit filed with it. The defendant's right to retain counsel or to request that counsel be appointed if the defendant cannot obtain counsel. C, the circumstances, if any, under which the defendant may secure pretrial release. D, any right to a preliminary hearing and defendant, basically defendant's right not to make a statement and any statement made may be used against the defendant. There you go. Next one. So there you go. Inform them of any right to a preliminary hearing. Is it, you know, is it any wonder they don't go back to Rule 5? Because they'd have to admit they screwed up by issuing the warrant on the indictment. Okay? So, Bobby, let me just stop you here. So if somebody finds themselves, let's just take worst-case scenario, if somebody finds themselves now and uh, having been indicted, uh, arrested on a warrant, or show up for a summons, and then uh, taken before a judge and asked to enter a, a plea, uh, really, what is the only thing you can do is you can't refuse to enter one because the judge will enter one for you. What would you suggest? You know, what would somebody do in a position like that? Object I, to the, the proceedings? No, if it was me, I would do just what I did in my unlicensed dog case. And I'd tell him, hey, I'd love to enter a plea. Problem is, 
I haven't seen the Rule 340.10 information, which invokes your jurisdiction to offer me a plea. There you go. Bobby, why don't you say, why don't you say that again, Bobby? Say that one more time, because okay. I'm sure people would love to hear that again. I'd love to enter a plea, but until I see the, uh, in New York State, in Criminal Procedure Law, Article 340.10 defines information. You need all three things. Until I see that information, how do I know how I want to plead? Well, in a federal case, in a federal case, then you would say I need to see the Rule Three complaint yeah. before I can enter a plea, right? Yeah, that established the probable cause for the prosecutor to go to the grand jury. There you go. I do. I'd ask him this. I do have a right to a probable cause hearing, don't I? Is there, and if he says, well, you got this indictment, well, is there an oath on there? And Bobby, there's one more reason why it's important for people to understand why these things need to be stated on the record, is to preserve your, you know, these issues for appeal. If you don't bring these up, uh, you you might as well just waive your right to a preliminary hearing, because that's what most attorneys advise their clients to do, that we're just going to waive the, the initial appearance. Isn't that right? Oh, all the time up here, they're, when they drag people into the town court. Now, mind you, the town justices up here, they're not authorized to try a felony, so they can't even offer you a plea. All they can do is hold a preliminary hearing. And because the criminal, uh, cases, criminal action is commenced, by the filing of an accusatory instrument, i.e., the Rule 3 complaint in federal court, the only thing that judge can do is bring you in and ask you, do you want to waive your preliminary examination? And the lawyers always waive it. Always. It's almost like they're taught to do that in law school. Yeah. Yeah. Which proves, again, the fact that I've always said that lawyers are not taught the law in law school. They're taught how to be lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Because, you know, like you said, if you're innocent, that's where you get to pound them. Okay? Now, years back, probably 10, almost 15 years ago, I had a young man in the upper Midwest. Him and his dad called me. He was a class valedictorian. Him and his buddy were on their way home from the first basketball game they played together. Weather was bad. The kid was driving reasonable speed and all. Ambulance coming in the opposite direction. The kid kind of got off on the shoulder to let it go by. Snow caught his tire, spun him into the path of the ambulance, killed his buddy. Now, he feels like dirt as it is, right? His best friend. Died while he was driving. Well, the cop, this town cop they hired decided he was going to make a name for himself. So they file an alleged charge, a felony complaint. Uh, I think it was criminally negligent homicide or something like that. You know, manslaughter. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. And his father heard about me from someone. And I says, well, send me the paperwork. So I get to looking at it. And they, they had this thing called felony complaint, but it wasn't. It didn't allege the essential facts of the crime. It wasn't made by anyone with first-hand knowledge. The cop didn't show up until after it happened. And an attorney they hired, 
this woman went into the town court and the town judge offered him a plea on a felony and she entered a plea of not guilty and was going to go to trial. And I said, this woman is incompetent. She should lose her bar license. And I explained to him what was going on. And I told him, I said, you go down to her office and you tell her we're paying you. My kid's ass on the anvil. You will do this or I will file a complaint against you with the Bar Association. And he laid it out in states. He ended up playing the tutor tape we did, which probably was the wrong thing to do because I was not kind to this woman. And basically, he told him, you're going to tell that judge he didn't have jurisdiction to offer a plea. There ain't no accusatory instrument. And this whole thing needs to be dismissed immediately. And she did. She went in and did that. Two days later, the charges were thrown out. Two weeks later, that cop was shit-canned off of the local police force. So when you know what's, <laughs> what's required to be done, you know, you can survive a trip through the legal system. This kid was 17 years old. They were going to screw his entire life up for something that was a total accident. Even the ambulance driver said it was an accident. Okay. So I encourage everybody, study the rules, learn them, think about them. Because in most cases, it's not a question of if you're going to have to know it someday, but just when. So, And, folks, again, this meter article is really, it's a really good place to start. It's a really good primer for uh, the way things are supposed to be, but how they're doing them now. So, hey, Bobby, let's do this. Let's kind of jump into Rule 6 if we could. Okay, let's assume for the sake of argument that uh, a probable cause preliminary hearing is held and it's determined that sufficient probable cause exists to bind the, the uh, defendant over to the grand jury. So let's say we okay. go to Rule 6 now. So this is another layer of, uh, of protections that are afforded a defendant uh, in the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure that is, is routinely trashed. Oh, yeah. If you go on to, well, Rule 6B1 in meters material, challenges to the grand jury array. It says the attorney for the government or a defendant who has been held to answer in the district court may challenge the array of jurors on the ground that the grand jury was not selected, drawn, or summoned in accordance with law and may challenge an individual juror on the ground that the juror is not legally qualified. Challenges shall be made before the administration of the oath to the jurors and shall be tried by the court. So, okay, it's, uh, it, let's see, uh, prior to formally seating the grand jury, you have to challenge it, okay? If you don't, uh, well, let's say if you do challenge it and request to challenge it and they deny you that right, you go to motion to dismiss the indictment under Rule 62, which may be based on objections to the array or on the lack of legal qualification of an individual juror, blah, 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 shall be made in the manner prescribed in 28 U.S.C. 1867E and shall be granted under the conditions prescribed in that statute. Okay. 
And by uh, the way, it's actually 6B1, Bobby. And by the way, folks, just so you know, the, 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 they've changed the numbering around a little bit here and there with the federal rules of criminal procedure. Since Mina yeah. wrote his article 15 years ago, so there are going to be some some inconsistencies, but the basic the the basic tenets of his his paper uh, are, are still ap- applicable applicable and uh, and uh, legitimate. It's just the numbering's a little bit different. So go ahead, Bobby. Yep. <laughs> Excuse me. Here's a good challenge to put on him. When they impanel a grand jury, it's only for a certain length of time. And if the judge doesn't issue an order extending that impanelment time and they hand down an indictment after the expiration date, guess what? Totally worthless. So it would pay for people to study the rules on the grand jury. Okay, And that's rule six. Yep. If if you didn't get your opportunity to challenge a grand jury array, uh, they're all disqualified, okay, because that process is among your constitutionally secured due process rights. All right? And then indictment, you want to skip ahead to uh, 6F, indictment and return? Or did you have more you wanted to say? Finding, no, that was it. Finding and return of indictment. An indictment may be found only upon concurrence of 12 or more jurors. The indictment shall be returned by the grand jury to a federal magistrate judge in open court. If a complaint or information is pending against the defendant and 12 jurors do not concur in finding an indictment, the four persons shall so report to a federal magistrate judge in writing forthwith. Okay. Okay. Basically, that section requires that the government prosecute felony crimes only on a valid affidavit of complaint that's been presented in a probable cause hearing. Okay. Only corporations can be prosecuted via information. All right. Uh, Let's see. And they are required to return it in open court, and that's another thing they never do. All right? Okay, let's see. You want to move up to Rule 7? Yeah. Let's go. Okay, well, that's not really that. It's just basically it states it's titled the indictment of the information and stipulates that uh, when used uh, under a felony defense other than criminal contempt must be prosecuted by an indictment if it is punishable by death or by imprisonment for more than one year. Uh, A misdemeanor offense punishable by imprisonment for one year or less may be prosecuted in accordance with Rule 58B1. But uh, anyway, that's just when... Well, you know, back here, if you go back to Rule 5C, a defendant is entitled to a preliminary examination unless waived when charged with any offense other than a petty offense, which is to be tried by a judge of the district court. Okay? 
if the defendant waives the preliminary examination, the magistrate judge shall forthwith hold the defendant to answer in the district court. If the defendant does not waive it, the judge shall schedule a preliminary examination. Okay? Provided, however, that the preliminary examination shall not be held if the defendant is indicted or uh, blah, 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 before the date set for the preliminary examination. Hey, Bobby, real, real thought here. This is something that I was looking at because they, they've branched off Rule 5 into two rules. Rule 5.1 is titled preliminary hearing, and it says in general, uh, if a defendant is charged with an offense other than a petty offense, a magistrate judge must conduct a preliminary hearing unless, one, the defendant waives the hearing, or two, the defendant is indicted. Yeah. So, but that's still, even if there's an indictment. Um, well, uh, it almost seems okay. like they kind of, it almost seems like it's it almost seems like it's contradictory. Yes, provided that the preliminary examination shall not be held if the defendant is indicted. Uh or if an information against the defendant is filed in the district court before the date set for the preliminary examination. If a defendant is joined to an indictment under Rule 8, he has the right to a preliminary hearing under 5.1. Amen to that. Yeah. Okay, do you want to go up to, uh, up to talk a little bit about Rule 8? Or you yeah, did already. Um, you, you actually you did already. Joinder of offenses. That's we yeah. don't we can skip over that. And then you've already talked about Rule Nine. Or I'm sorry, Bobby. Go ahead. I don't mean to get you off track. Here. No, no, that's that's fine. I like you joining in here. This ain't the Bob Show, you know. It's uh, <laughs> well, you know, we that's why we say we like to have the the listeners uh, participate. <laughs> this, excuse me, um, because it is really important. I mean, people are getting screwed all the time in federal court, and it's because they don't know the procedure. So many times they hire attorneys who don't care about that procedure and their rights, and they just roll right forward. And I really like this too, Bobby. Rule 9 is governs the arrest warrant, and this, is, as Dan Meter discusses, this is kind of where they, they kick off here. They kind of ignore rule uh, rules three through eight, and they start off at nine. And rule yeah. nine states uh, issuance. Uh, rule nine is titled arrest warrant or summons on an indictment or information, and it says issuance. The court must issue a warrant for each defendant named in an indictment or named in an information if one or more affidavits accompanying the information establish probable cause to believe that an offense has been committed and that the defendant committed it. Okay, blah, 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 blah. fine. Fast forward now to rule uh, subsection D. Or excuse me, uh, C, I'm sorry, C3, where it says initial appearance. When arrested or summoned, defendant first appears before the court. The judge must proceed under Rule 5. So just like Meter says, you got to go back now to Rule 5, which is your preliminary hearing, probable cause hearing. So yep. they just skip that part. They go right from 9, the issuance of the warrant or summons on an indictment. They go right to, wait for it, Rule 10. The arraignment. Yeah. 
and that's it. They skip all that other stuff, and uh, I don't know if it's, it's it just seems like a you've got some quasi-judicial officers that seem to be engaged in a conspiracy to deprive people of their rights. So, you know, if you don't yeah, know your rights, so, folks, you don't have any. Yep, and it's like Nieder says, the magistrates are just park commissioners. They don't yeah. have jurisdiction to try felonies, okay? So they can't even offer you a plea, but what do they do at the arraignment? Oh, and by the way, an arraignment is not the occasion upon which you enter a plea. Most people don't know that. The arraignment is the occasion upon which somebody charged in a complaint appears before the court for the court, a purpose of the court acquiring personal jurisdiction over them. It's amazing, isn't it? Yep, that's what the definition of arraignment is in New York's criminal procedure law. And if you stick to your guns, you can prevail. See, <clears throat> up here, that common law protection is embedded in our criminal procedure law. And when they were screwing with me over the unlicensed dog, and I didn't even own a dog, I don't know, a lot of you probably don't know the story on that, but that's a, a whole different animal. But they had a document called an information from the dog catcher. They... uh they didn't have anything at all from the prosecutor, and they didn't have a misdemeanor complaint upon which I executed a waiver pursuant to this other subdivision, 170.65, waiving prosecution by information and consenting to be tried on the misdemeanor complaint. And this was in a definition, and I looked at this for two or three years way back and didn't fully understand it till the lights came on one day. I go, oh, my God, they're telling you right here in this little definition they need three things because and what it says is, in addition to its meaning as defined in subdivision 100.25, the term information, in quotes, includes, A, a simplified information, and, B, a prosecutor's information, and, C, a misdemeanor complaint upon which a defendant has executed a waiver pursuant to subdivision 170.65, waiving prosecution by information and consenting to be tried, uh, prosecuted on the misdemeanor complaint. And I go, holy moly, there it is. All this malaprohibitive crap is voluntary because they can never draw a misdemeanor complaint on it unless the legislature has a fixed jail time to it, well then, yeah, they might could do it then, but for most stuff, they can't. Like, unlicensed dog, definitely not a criminal offense, especially if you don't own a dog. And, you know, speeding, seatbelt, rolling through a stop sign, none of it. You know, now, reckless driving, well, you got a problem. Same with DWI. Those are breaches of the peace or a public nuisance. So when you understand these things, um, you'll be a lot better equipped. And they worked on me trying to get me to acknowledge the receipt of an accusatory instrument. And I kept going right back to, well, I don't see this misdemeanor complaint. I don't know what to tell you. You know, where's it at to bring it out? Oh, do you want to post bail? Well, you show me the misdemeanor complaint, and I'll be able to tell you better then. 
well, do you want an attorney? Are you waiving your right to an attorney? I said, how do I know if I need an attorney? So I see that misdemeanor complaint. So maybe I'll save us all the trouble and plead guilty. Oh, God, that guy was so mad. He threw me right in jail. Had the cops take me to jail. But I got out a few days later on a habeas corpus, so. Hey, Bobby, one other thing, too, that people might be asking themselves, and, and Dan Meter does speak to this, is how can they be doing this? You know, what are they doing? You know, the feds, uh, the Department of Justice, and he does allude to this later on in his paper. He says, from my research, it appears that the Department of Justice and United States attorneys are convening grand juries under the auspices of the special grand jury provisions under Title 18, Chapter 216, um, excuse me, subsections 3331 to 3334. However, this is a misapplication of law. A special grand jury investigation authority extends only to criminal activity involving government personnel, and the grand jury is limited to issuing reports. Uh, he goes on to say defendants and prospective defendants are afforded the opportunity to rebut or correct the report prior to public release, although, although evidence unearthed by the special grand jury may be used as a basis of criminal prosecution, the special grand jury does not have indictment authority. And then this is where he kind of really gets the essence of this. He says, it appears that the first steps towards securing secret indictments were taken during prohibition days to shield grand jury members from reprisal. Although secret indictments were and are patently unconstitutional, the extreme remedy in the midst of highly volatile and dangerous circumstances was rationalized in the midst of what amounted to domestic war with organized crime. Unfortunately, as other such rationalizations, those who found the extraordinary process, extraordinary process convenient incorporated it as routine practice. So that's what we have going on here is the convening of special grand juries uh, to trample on your rights. Right. Special grand juries that have no power to issue indictments, merely reports, and they only have the authority to investigate uh, government activity and uh, as it relates to organized crime as well. So, anyway. Yeah, and, uh, and attorneys never challenge that. Never. Yeah. Like, they're, they're terrified not. to do it. Yep. I had a, a guy a while back out near New York City called me, and they accused him of some felonies. I forget what they were. And I said... Do you have a copy of the indictment? He said, no, they're secret. I go, secret indictment for, well, I think it was weapons charges, right? I go, that's asinine. Says, what am I going to do? Well, I said, the judge is going to ask you to enter a plea, tell him you'd love to, but because it's a secret indictment, your plea's secret, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to look at that indictment. You don't get to see my plea. And that's the other thing, too, Bobby, is you look at, uh, and I've seen these, too, people that I've worked with over the years that uh, that are indicted. You know, I go on PACER to look at their case, to look at the indictment, and more, more times than not, it's sealed. You yeah. can't look at it. They won't let you see it. They won't let you see it on PACER. So, you know, this is what they're doing, folks. So, um, Bobby, let me. we're coming up on, on an hour here, so let's um, – Remedy for this, there are a couple remedies uh, when this has been the, the case, uh, at least under federal cases. Uh, Meter speaks of Rule 60B uh, under federal rules of civil procedure, uh, allows you to challenge judgments uh, on the grounds of mistake, uh, fraud, the judgment is void, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, only thing, only thing 
is that there, there is a time limit. This uh, such a, a motion for relief has to be brought within a year of the judgment. Now, if it's somebody who's already in jail, the remedy uh, is found at 28 U.S.C. 2255. Um, and I did a memorandum. I actually did a, a motion on this and a memorandum in support of for um, a fellow not too long ago. Uh, Rather nice one, I might add. Yeah, that's right. I did forward that to you for your review, and I appreciate your reviewing it. But uh, it was a memorandum in support of a motion to vacate, set aside, or correct sentence uh, based on you know what we talked about in the, the Dan Meter article. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's another remedy for somebody who's already in uh, federal prison. So um, that's something that... And that Keep in mind, too, that if a judgment is void for want of jurisdiction, you can attack it at any time. I don't care if it's 20 years old, 50 years old. If it's void and you have an interest in, you know, it affects your interest, you can attack it. And and some of you are probably saying to yourselves, well, why bother attacking it? You're just going to lose. Well, if more people attacked these things, uh, I think it would be a different story. I just don't think that there's enough people attacking it. I'm not blaming anybody listening on the, in on this call. You guys are the, the cream of the crop here. It's just I'm talking about a country of, you know, 350 million people, uh, you know, when you're talking about it. Yeah, just a lot of apathy. So I think if more people and folks, let's, you know, you guys are the are the sharp ones. You guys are the ones who understand what's going on here. So, you know, if more of you talk to people about this and this kind of information gets spread a little more broadly, maybe more people will challenge these uh, fraudulent federal indictments and subsequent uh, convictions and sentences. Um, so it's just a, a matter of, uh, of sheer volume, uh, you know, more people doing this and getting people's attention. So, you know, you, if, you, if the federal, you know, d- uh, U.S. attorneys and the Department of Justice are going to continue sticking their fingers in the cookie jar, we've got to make sure that they start pulling out nubs. You know, they start pulling out nubs, they're going to be a lot less inclined to go for that cookie jar. So, right. That's the whole point of right. this. Right, hiding bear traps in the cookie jars, pretty effective. <laughs> right. We're not anarchists, right, Bobby? We're just we're just holding our our public servants to to the rule of the law, that's making terrible. sure they don't they don't exceed their their lawfully mandated authorities. So that's the whole well, point the Supreme, of this. The Supreme Court said in some cases it's not the government's duty to keep the citizens from falling into error; it's the citizens' duty to keep the government from falling into error. And as long yep. as you let these people trample and crap all over your rights without holding them accountable, you're going to get the government you deserve. Yep. That's, that's just how it is. That's, I agree with you. So, uh, Angela, did you want to see if anybody wants to raise their hand and, and ask anything or comment on anything? Sure. If we, anybody wants to ask a question, raise your hand by pressing star 8. Let's see, we have Captain, Captain Teddy Bear. Well, that's a cute name. You've been unmuted. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Um, I, I think I might be able to help a lot of people out there by explaining about what happened to me and one of my friends. Um, what happened was he, uh, well, he got basically beat up by the police and and tossed into jail and everything. And uh, he, uh, he never committed any crime or anything. I went to help him. And I was actually in court to help him out. And because the judge did not want me to reveal my name, my lawful name in front of the jury, 
they uh, they they ground me. Okay, the the uh, bails ground me and everything, and they put false charges against me, obviously. But anyway, when I went to trial for the day from from my trial, we couldn't come to a contract. I put my my lawful name in front of a judge in writing, and he could not say my name. He cannot. It's not. It's not like it was hard to pronounce or anything. It's, it's just. It's my lawful name, the name I was born with. And as soon as that happened, I said, "Well, I'm not the defendant." And they grabbed me and they tossed me out of the courthouse completely, and told me never to come back again. So there was never any trial for me. That's surprising, considering they probably trumped up the charges anyways. It was all done. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it was all done for intimidation purposes. Well, yes, that's true. And also the uh, the the sheriff, because they couldn't haul me off to jail, the sheriff actually committed forgery right in front of me with this ticket. Uh, he wanted uh, the appearance, uh, a notice to appear ticket. Okay, and of course I wrote on there all rights reserved and everything before I signed before I even put an X. It is I all that's all I did was just put an X, and then he put an H behind that uh, that X to make it look like initials or something. So he's committing forgery right in front of me. But uh, yeah, it's just it, it's in the same situation. Now we're trying to get to the point where my friend can sue these people because they did the committed um, criminal acts against against them. They tortured him, literally tortured the the poor man. He's an old man. And uh, they caused brain damage and uh, nerve damage and now he can't even walk right. Uh, You know, they're just, you know, what what can I say? They're criminals. But the thing is... Let me jump in here too. I'm going to suggest that suing civilly for that type of thing is maybe something you might want to consider that's just typically fraught with a lot of delays, a lot of time and a lot of expenses. The one thing that's really good that we've made a lot of hay with over the years is criminal complaints. And I hate to beat a dead horse. I know we talk about this all the time, but uh, the cops that beat up your friend, um, uh, you know, have your friend put together a criminal affidavit because that's one thing that's really hard for them to ignore. (laughs) They don't have immunity from criminal charges. When you do civilly, yeah. when you sue civilly, there's all sorts of levels of immunity that that. Uh, well, no, no, we're not doing it civilly. We're doing, we're trying to do a common law lawsuit. He's actually got, yeah. it. he's he's working on his affidavit and everything. Okay. Oh, we want to do it. Good luck. I hope that, uh, hope that works out yeah. well for your friend. Did you have anything yeah. else you wanted to add? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, the thing is that because one of the things that really helped me. Oh, and by the way, he was actually sentenced to jail for three years. And he was in jail, and I got him out in eight days because I adopted him, and I did under all under common law. And they they were you should have seen how scared they were. They said, "Oh no, don't worry, we're we'll, we're, we're having a, a hearing, and he will be out." And the next thing I know, he was out of jail. Wow! Oh, well, yeah. Good. Good job. What state are you in? I'm in California, in San Diego, California. Wow, that's heavy duty. You mentioned a few things about UCC and uh, contract and all that, and I'll tell you, it ain't about 
contract law when you're in that pit. Okay, yeah. it's about understanding what the law is and what they're not doing correctly. Because if you understand that, you you will triumph. You might get, you know, I got put in jail, yeah, two different times on my unlicensed dog case. But when I got done with them the second time, I became the invisible man. They would yeah. not even look at me in the town hall. So, oh, yeah, they... Yeah, they won't even. They won't. They told me not to come back to their courthouse anymore, because see, yeah. the thing is, my the legal name. When I was a young man, I changed the so-called last name, and I didn't. Of course, I never. I didn't really know what I was doing back when I was a young man. I didn't know anything about, anything about this stuff, but I changed it, and that actually helps me now because the legal name is is different than my lawful name. Totally different now, or almost oh. totally different, and that. It helps me so much, you know, because they can't, they can't actually take that legal name and apply it to me any any longer. I don't have a social security number. Or I don't have a driver's license anymore. You know, I'm totally out of their system, and they just can't do anything with me. That's right. When you're not party to the corporation, they're, they have no authority to mess with you. And that's... Yeah. It makes a great segue into the second portion of this show because, you know, people, if you want to get your rights, you, you know, you need to understand the law, but even more importantly, separate yourself from this private municipal law. Okay, get out of the system and stay out. And if enough people do that, then these rascals are going to have to fold their tents and leave. Hey, Angela, do, 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 and thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your oh, input. Thank, Angela, thank you very much. You betcha. Angela, was there anybody else who had a question or wanted to comment on anything? Not at the moment. I don't see anyone else's hand up at the moment, so okay. if you want to well, continue. Bob, you, want to just, you just want to segue into the next topic? We, you've already done it pretty much. Yeah, Um you know, getting out of the system and staying out of the system, one of the first things people should do is, of course, study the law. You need to understand that because you may need that knowledge and experience on your journey out of the system. And one of the first things I would do after I learned the law and understood it well is I would look at asset protection. Because if you have stuff they can steal, they'll do it. They're thieves. But if you arrange your affairs so that you don't own anything, they have a hard time stealing. Now, there's various ways you can do that. You know, you could use a trust, uh, LLCs, Nevada corporations, you know, there's there's ways to do uh, to, to transfer ownership, but whatever way you choose to do it, make sure that there's a bona fide sale. Because if not, the courts can consider it an unfunded transaction, and they'll attempt to treat that entity as an alter ego of you if they can get away with it. So that's, you know, one thing. If you've got a house and land or cars, 
you know, you might consider selling them to a trust. Uh, you definitely don't want to keep a lot of money in the banks because that can create problems. Um, in fact, you might be a whole lot better to get rid of the Social Security number. Now, there's a couple ways to do it. Uh, I chose L.B. Bort's route. And basically, his approach is you're not that person, never was that person. You're not somebody they can keep records on, and you're not somebody who's required to have those numbers in them. Um, there's other ways to do it. Years back, Bart returned their property to him, which was the number and the car. So let me jump in there. Let me jump in there too, Bobby, because that was that. That's a little bit more my bailiwick. Uh, yeah. The surrendering of the number, and I, I really do believe, folks, that that's. Um, I don't. I've never been a big believer in the birth certificate, uh, all caps name, and all that argument. I've just never seen. And not not to say that people aren't making hay with that. I just I've never run into people who are having success using that. But when you start with the whole purpose, the whole issue of the social security number, that's what creates the presumption or the, the really legally the fact that you are federal personnel. And I encourage people to look up the Privacy Act because if you've got a social security number, uh, let's let me just define it. Uh, this is 5 U.S.C. section 552A, subsection A13. Um, and this is the definition where they provide definitions under the Privacy Act. And it says the term federal personnel means officers and employees of the government of the United States, members of the uniformed services, including members of the reserve components, individuals entitled to receive immediate or deferred retirement benefits under any retirement program of the government of the United States, including survivor benefits. So for those of you listening on this call, if you have a social security number, you are federal personnel. So you've got to remove, take steps to remove that presumption. And I did this, uh, uh, a series of steps to do that uh, with a, a very esteemed associate, associate of mine named Gene, who's been on this show before, Angela, you know Gene. But this is his process, and I, I want to give him all the props because it's absolutely brilliant paperwork. But it's a series of affidavits, uh, one uh, initially, that goes off to various members of the federal government. And the affidavit itself is a real piece of work. But it, uh, it basically gives the federal government the opportunity to rebut your statements, uh, not the least of which is uh, that the secretary failed to afford um, uh, the secretary actually by agency action uh, determined no necessity to notify me pursuant to Internal Revenue Code Section 6110, public inspection of written determinations uh, with the determination that I am a taxpayer and, and various other things too. That's just one of them. It's a, it's a very long affidavit. But you give them the opportunity to rebut it. And then when they don't rebut it, you send them a follow-up letter, at which point uh, you give them another opportunity to rebut it. And if they don't, then they've, uh, by agency action, uh, under the provisions of the Administrative Procedure Act, um, that's a failure to act. So uh, you follow that up with another letter uh, to the um, Internal Revenue. No, that's not it. Here it is. To the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, Social Security Administration, uh, and just informing them that uh, you are returning their property to them. And you've got your uh, affidavits that are unrebutted. 
uh, in support of that, a uh, Social Security card if you had one. Now, I didn't have my Social Security, Security card back then, but I did go to my local SSA office and I got a printout uh, and I got a sign statement from the person working there that I'm the sole, I was rather, the sole owner or sole uh, possessor of that number. But uh, in effect, I just returned their property back to them. And uh, I don't have that number anymore. Uh, it, it, isn't my, it was never my property. It was always theirs. If people think you have a Social Security number, try assigning it. If you can't assign it, it isn't yours. So uh, You're, you're I, so I right it. about that, buddy. Yeah. You don't own it. Yeah, just think about that for a second if you think you have it, if you think it's yours, but it isn't. So I gave them their property back, and um, um, I no longer – I don't have one anymore. So if somebody asks me for an SSN, I, I can't give them one. So, but anyway, that's really – I think that's where the whole thing starts because now you're not federal personnel. I'm not entitled to federal benefits. Um, I've gotten a passport. I've renewed my passport uh, since, this, since I did this. I re actually, I did this in 2008. I uh, renewed my passport in 2010, and I did not include um, uh, a Social Security number, and I got it just fine. So anyway, I thought I'd just throw that out there, but that's, that's one part of uh, – one, one important component of getting out of the system. So, sure. Bobby, go ahead. I didn't so want to – no, 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 that's fine. I'm glad you explained that. I really. But by am. the way, just so you, just so you folks know, if you want to do, if you if that's something you want to do, and you're interested in, in doing this series of of steps, uh, Gene does have a CD-ROM that we make available. That's got all the paperwork you need there to do it, and all the instructions and everything you need if you want to get rid of that number this way. So uh, I just want to make that available. But that's that's Gene Kernan is my associate, and that's uh, that's his baby, and I give him all the credit in the world. It's just absolutely fabulous paperwork. When you see it, you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. Go ahead, Bobby. Okay. Yeah, there's you know several ways to go about it. You know, Gene's way, LB's way. Um, I noticed, and I don't know if you ever got a response from them, but my uh, when I did LB's, they just went dead silent. They never responded to it. So you know, silence is acquiescence, but it would be nice to have a reply from them confirming that, you know. Um, but at any rate, a buddy of mine wrote him this short letter. Says, you will please take notice, I recently discovered that there is a power of attorney consent attached to the above number Social Security account, which, if it had been fully disclosed to me at the time, I was induced to authorize the opening of said account in my name would have dissuaded me from doing so. Is my further understanding that the power of attorney aspect is not necessary since performance of the contract between the parties to said Social Security account. For these reasons and on that basis, I am hereby repudiating non-proton the said power of attorney consent effective the date of opening said account. You will also forthwith notify any and all interested parties of this elector status change and action as direct order that all forms, cards, documents, and instruments bearing my signature in connection with that account be amended to well and truly reflect this change. No answer to this instruction is required, but acknowledgement of compliance would be appreciated. In the event you are unable or unwilling to comply with this instruction, I shall alternatively require of you evidence of your Article 6 
oath of fidelity as well as the policy number and name and address of the underwriter of your bond. He got a response, and it was a nasty grant. They never said they did what he asked, but they wrote back saying, oh, FDR did everything legally and this and that, and they were whining and sniveling. But <laughs> uh, that's how he got rid of his. So there's another way. Um, but here's something that I just discovered not too long ago. By the way, this information isn't new. It's out there on a lot of different websites. If you'll Google it, you can find it. But here it is, right out of Title 20 of the Code of Federal Regulations, 416.1333, termination at the request of the recipient. A recipient, his legal guardian, or his representative payee may terminate his eligibility for benefits under this part by filing a written request for termination which shows an understanding that such termination may extend to other benefits resulting from eligibility under this part. In the case of a representative payee, there must also be a showing which establishes that no hardship would result if an eligible recipient were not covered by the Supplemental Security Income Program. Such a request is filed. The recipient ceases to be an eligible individual or eligible spouse. Remember that? 552AA13, eligible to receive deferred or immediate benefits. Effective with the month following the month the request is filed with the Social Security Administration unless the recipient specifies some other month. However, the Social Security Administration will not effectuate the request for any month for which payment has been or will be made unless there is a repayment or assurance of repayment of any amounts paid for those months, e.g. from special payments, blah, 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 blah. When the Social Security Administration, this is the good part, effectuates the termination of eligibility at the request of the recipient, his legal guardian, or his representative payee, notice of the determination will be sent in accordance with Section 416.1404, and eligibility, once terminated, can't be reestablished except as uh, provided by 416.1408 only upon the filing of a new application, in other words, a new SS5. Any questions, comments? I don't yeah. see any. Anybody have a question? Oh, okay. Uh, Makeum 456, you've been unmuted. Did you have a question? Hey, guys, how you doing? Pretty good. Hey. How are you? I'm doing all right. My name is uh, James. I have a question. I work in uh, commerce and trucking on the odds. How would I be able to do that if I cancel it? I'm sorry, how would you be able to do what? work as a truck driver? That's a very good question, and uh, that's probably a question for a uh, for another show because we could probably go off on a tangent on that. But, um, Bobby, did you want to take that? Well, I didn't quite get the question. Well, he's asking, and this is a, va a valid question because anytime you go to work for an employer, 
one of the first things they're going to do is ask you for a social security number. Well, I'm actually on the app, so I'm looking into getting my own authority and everything. That way I can have my own truck and stuff. And well, I would suggest if you're looking to do do business that way, I would, I, I'm a big believer in hiding in plain sight. And right. I've always been a big proponent of, of subchapter C corporations. I'm not a big fan. And again, this isn't legal advice, folks. This is just my opinion. I'm a big believer in just the, the standard subchapter C corporation just because there, there are so many more deductions that are available to you, particularly if you're a truck driver. There's so many things that can be written off, uh, you know, uh, maintenance, insurance, um, uh, you name it, uh, lodging, food, uh, every, anything and everything that goes along with being an owner-operator. So setting up your business as a subchapter C corporation is a great way uh, to do business because you're just right there, you're hiding in plain sight, um, and uh, you would not necessarily not be required to provide any Social Security number to that corporation. Uh, they can ask for it, uh, and most corporations would if this is a different scenario, uh, but if you do not have one, all they're required to do is ask for it. Now, unfortunately, right. most business... Unfortunately, most, and this goes right back, and I don't know the chapter and verse. I probably could have boned on the, up on this a little bit better uh, in advance of this call. I just didn't have time today. But uh, I believe it's the Immigration and Naturalization Act only requires employers to ask for that number. Uh, if you do not have it, they're only required to show that they asked for it. All you really need to have is valid proof that you are uh, permitted to work in this country and a a passport, which I have, and that's really the only ID that I use, is sufficient uh, prima facie evidence of your right to work in this country. So that's really all you need to provide to a potential employer. Um, but yeah, being being your own boss, really, there's nothing quite like it. It's much preferable than having to deal with uh, you know other companies. And, and their attorneys, who really, uh, companies are going to do whatever their attorneys tell them to do. And as we've already established on this call, uh, attorneys don't really understand the law. They just know how to, how to be lawyers, and there's a profound difference between the two. Does that answer your question, sir? I'm not trying to be evasive, but I'm trying to give you the best information I can. No, I mean, that answers it if I want to register my business. But if I'm not looking into registering my business, because once you register, you, you don't own it, basically. Well, the problem with being a truck driver is, is if you're driving commercially, then most states are going to require that you you register your vehicle with the department, that state department of transportation. So sometimes it's better and easier, at least from a liability standpoint, to do that through a corporation rather than as a DBA, because if something happens and you slide into a family of six, you know your your entire life could be ruined. Okay, but if I get uh, bond insurance to cover all that, and if I'm up under an estate, my company is basically the state is running the company, and you know, and I have bond insurance. How would I be? Well, that's I just I'm just giving you my opinion. I mean, obviously you know you know your state's laws better than I do. I'm just telling you, if if it were me, that's how I would do it. I just like to have that layer of protection. That way, it's just a company. It's not me. It's yeah, an artificial what? entity. Go ahead, Bobby. Once you get rid of the number and you've got confirmation from Social Security Administration, then if you go to an employer and they want the number, you can tell them I don't have one. And 
They're, they can't compel you into that contract. It's voluntary. And it says it right in the in the CFRs and the statutes that control it. I know my friend up here, his son, went to get a driver's license from New York State. Now, this kid was born at home. They never got him a, a social security number. He went in, and they gave him a rough time at the county level about not having a social security number. So my friend wrote the attorney general, and he got a nice letter back, and he, the attorney general said he only has to give the social security number to get the driver's license if he has one. If he doesn't have one, they cannot require it as a condition to give him the driver's license. So okay. it goes back to what Bart said earlier. If you don't have it, you can't give it to him. All right, so, but as far as with my business, I wouldn't be using my social, I'd be using the tax. Well, yeah, your corporation would apply for uh, a federal ID, a, a tax ID number, and do all your business, you know, through that particular, you know, the corporation would have its own account. Does that answer your question? I think we lost him, Angela. Oh, did you? What either that or, either that or I left him. Either that or I left him speechless. <laughs> He's there. He's still there. I'm here. Okay. Did that answer Is your that question? It? Yeah, that, that answers. But even with a tax ID, you can get a tax ID to where you wouldn't have to pay taxes. They have uh, non-commercial tax ID. Well, if you're a subchapter C and your enterprise is earning less than a million dollars a year with all the expenses afforded to a subchapter C, there's no reason under the sun, moon, and stars why that corporation should have to pay a nickel in federal income tax, uh, uh, federal income taxes. Okay, but doesn't a, a C Corp have to pay other taxes? Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah. it'll have to file. It's going to have to file. If your state has a yeah, if your state has an income tax, you're going to have to file a state income tax. What state are you in? I'm in Florida. Florida doesn't have a state income. Tax. Okay, well then, yeah, you would not have to file a Florida a state income tax return, but certainly the corporation would have to file federally. But like I said, it's 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 you know, it's like the Matrix. I'm sure everybody in this call has seen the movie. You know, at some point you got to interact with the Matrix on some level. You know, I keep outside of the matrix as much as I can, but every now and then I have to interact with it in some way. Um, and a corp C corporation is a way for you to kind of stay out of the matrix, but still do business with it. Because even in that movie, The Matrix, they had to go into the matrix on occasion. They had to go in to get Neo. You know, so they had to use the matrix. You know, uh, It's maybe kind of a ham-fisted analogy or a metaphor, but it's, it's a really good one, in my opinion, um, for what I'm talking about here about staying out of the system, but if you've got a, a you know, if you've got a business uh, that can be regulated by the state, and maybe that's another conversation for another time, but it's a really good way for you to interact with the matrix and still maintain a level of, of sovereignty or, or autonomy from uh, from the matrix. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. Okay. You know, as far as being in and out of your character, I, I understand. Well, that's just the way I approach it. Again, it's not necessarily the way everybody else would. I'm just giving you my opinion on this. Bobby, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? Well, yeah, you know, like you say, you're forced to interface with certain things 
at times of this system. But you can get out and you can stay out. And maybe not everybody can do it because it's not convenient enough. But I don't know what's worse, a little inconvenience or the current state of slavery that they're being forced into. And when you rid yourself of all these presumptions, because remember, the whole system functions on presumptions. They're presuming you're that corporate fiction who's liable to the municipal corporation private law. Well, when you kill those presumptions, they're not authorized to mess with you. And as long as you don't leave a paper trail, okay, um, and arrange your affairs so that you're, you're interfacing with the matrix as least as possible, you'll be able to do it. Now, you know, there, this took a long time to develop, all right? So when I say, and I started off by saying protect your assets, for instance, your house and your land, unless you can afford to lose them, don't take on the property tax battle until you know it inside out. Much easier to put that into a, a entity and just pay the property tax on it until you do understand how to get it out. Okay, for yourself, let's say you you lose the social security number, you get rid of the driver's license, you don't use the banks. Okay, um, now where's the paper that they could use to charge you with tax evasion or anything else? Yes, you may have a bit of a problem with employers. I, back in the late 80s and early 90s, when I was welding pipe, I went through this. And I, I was working a job in Connecticut on a Con Edison boiler for a power plant, like a 750-megawatt boiler. And this outfit hired me. I went exempt. <coughs> and they started holding out my pay. And I didn't sign the W-4 uh, form. I put on there not a subset above my signature. And they weren't going to give me my money. And I told them, I'm headed back home. My check better be there in less than two weeks because if it's not, I'm coming back up here. And I'm going to put a mechanics lien on this Con Ed boiler. And it's going to be shut down. They ain't going to be making no electricity till I get paid. I said, now we'll see how many jobs you get from Con Ed after that. Well, they looked into the law and found out I was right and I could do that, and I got my money. So at that time, I didn't realize that the Social Security number was a hook. <coughs> if I had it to do over, I'd have never got the damn number, and... I just hired on jobs without it. But I have worked for employers. They didn't like it, but they hired me and paid me most of my check except for the Social Security. So it is doable. You can do it if you know the law and you prepare yourself before you go into the employer and you you know are articulate and intelligent and you can explain it to them. I had another outfit where I gave them the holding trust affidavit, 
and I and this was what John Kottmeyer used to do years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, you can hold out at single and zero for 60 days. You send this statement of citizenship to the IRS office in Philadelphia because they're the only ones that can deal with it. And if they don't write back within 60 days and tell you that I owe the money, then I expect to be paid. And they said, okay, fair enough, because we figure they will. And I said, well, we'll see. So 65 days go by, they called me into the office, and they had a check there for me. And the, the owner said I would have never believed it. He was really interested in it, and I got him Irwin Schiff's books. And um, so there was somebody who got educated on that. So it can be done. Okay. And it isn't for so, everybody. Uh, it isn't for everybody, really, folks. I don't. I don't say this to sound arrogant or anything, but it, you know, I'm sure it is for a lot of, the, if not most, of the folks on this call. But for the average person on the street, uh, freedom isn't something for them. Uh, freedom oh, is something isn't. they would never, never be able to handle. Uh, people have just, for for so many generations, I've just been brought up to be uh, welfare cases in one form or to a greater degree or another. Uh, and being self-sufficient, being out of the system, being a real free man, that's for a very select few people, like the people that are listening on this, on this call this evening. Uh, and I know some of you are thinking, well, I need a bank account. Well, uh, I beg to differ. I, I couldn't tell you. I can't remember how long. It's been so long since I had a bank account, I can't remember what it's like to have one. I can't remember the name of the bank where I last had one. So there are ways to conduct your affairs outside of the system and, and listen if you guys think you're you're if for anybody on this call who has money in a bank if you think your money is safe talk to the people in cyprus yeah <laughs> and, Good and, I, and, and that in my opinion that was probably just a little test just a little field test by the international bankers to see how people would react because uh, it's coming uh one day or another it's going to be coming to the to these shores because right now the federal government has, what, about $18 trillion in debt? You don't think that they're going to start looking at your money and your bank account as a way to lighten that debt? Think again. Because well, yes, if, yes. if we've learned anything, we can't trust our federal government to do the right thing and to do the legal things. So uh, go ahead, I was, on, I was at Cornell Law earlier this evening researching for tonight's show. Guess what I see? A little notice on there, like an ad on the right-hand side of the page that says, Looming White House Financial Scandal. <laughs> and I'm going, wow. Cornell Law's report, Madam, now. Well, there you go. So, so and if, for people who think you can't get a bank account without a Social Security number, you're supposed to be able to. I know it's an uphill battle. But according to 31 CFR 103.28, the identification required is before concluding any transaction with respect to which a report is required under Section 103.22, a financial institution shall verify and record the name and address of the individual presenting a transaction as well as record the identity account number, and the Social Security or Taxpayer Identification Number, comma, if any, comma, of any person or entity on whose behalf such transactions be affected. 
okay? Uh, 31 CFR 103.33 requires them to include a notation in the record that a customer lacks a Social Security number or certain other identification, okay? Uh, 103.34 provides, in the event that a bank has been unable to secure the required identification, shall nevertheless not be deemed to be in violation of this section if, I, it has made a reasonable effort to secure such identification, and II, it maintains a list containing the names, addresses, and account numbers of those persons from whom it has been unable to secure such identification. It makes the names, addresses, and account numbers of those persons available to the secretary as directed by him. Okay? So, if you're astute, you can sit down and put pressure on these people. Now, mind you, it has to be a non-interest-bearing account <clears throat> because when you have an interest-bearing account, there's a requirement for you to file a tax return on it, on the interest as income. So you need to keep an account open to do business and you're, you got some kahunas, you can make it happen. The only wild card to that, Bobby, is, uh, and I I hate to bring this up, but uh, the USA Patriot Act may have modified that somewhat. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? They tried to, and a federal judge ruled it illegal before it even got uh, uh, implemented. Okay, good, good. I, I, yes. I'm glad yep. that uh, you, you, you knew that. Well, good then, folks, and I agree with Bobby. It's 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 inconvenient. It's not easy. It's uh, not for everybody, but you know, for those of you that want to do it. And again, this is something Bobby and I can certainly tutor people on. Obviously, we have that uh, social security number affidavit process that we make available to people, um, and Bobby is available to tutor folks on how you can protect your assets before you jump out of the out of the system. And you know, we're always happy to talk to folks and kind of give them our uh, you know, our approach, the things that we do, you know, there are businesses, there are uh, business opportunities you can do where, um, um, let's just say your payment is nice and secure, lots of other things, um, other businesses where you're not required uh, to provide a social security number and uh, lots of different what ways Bart, to, to slay the beast. What Bart said earlier about working for yourself, that's the best. It's the absolute best. Because you don't have to argue with the employer about whether or not you're required to pay taxes. Because, you know, they have a mindset like all these other sheeple that, oh, everybody has to pay taxes, you know. Well, that isn't true. And I'm not everybody, okay. So, you know, it is a difficult walk to walk, but it can't be done. So... If you can set yourself up to where you work for yourself and you do business strictly on a cash basis, there's no require, no nothing illegal about doing that. And <clears throat> you're out of the system. You're grinning. And the other, the, you know, the bad, the just as a follow up to what Bobby said too, and, and obviously, I, I'm sure you're for people that watch the. In the blogs and the the, new, the websites that I go to, you know, there is a war on on cash. You know, the federal government doesn't like a cash society because 
they can't track you. So they're doing everything they can to, to demonize cash and to make it illegal. And France, in fact, I think right now is taking some major steps towards eliminating cash transactions in that country altogether. So if it's happening in Europe, it's not really far from here. But there are other things, there are other technologies that are available. There's gold, uh, there's Bitcoin, and I think there's several other uh, competitors to Bitcoin. They're going to be, I think, uh, becoming more legitimate and much more commonplace as uh, the, gov the federal government's uh, pincers start to become more tight. I think the free market will start to take over. In fact, in many ways, it already has. So there are going to be ways to, to I think, uh, engage in commerce freely and uh, without being under the thumb of Uncle Sam and his prying eyes. Uh, so, but you've got to be creative and, you know, you've got to be careful about what you do and don't do. And that's something, again, that's something we can help folks with. So. Yeah. <coughs> I'd like to leave people with this thought. I'm sure it's like this in all the states because it is in New York. We're one of the worst, okay? Barter is preserved in the sales tax law. If I went to a car dealership and wanted to buy a brand new truck, and I walked in with X amount of bars of gold bullion that at the current market price were worth what the truck was, and I gave the dealer that gold bullion, he'd give me the truck, guess what? No sales tax due. And that's because it's an exchange of property for property. There you go. Hey, Angela, oh. did anybody have anything they wanted to ask? Angela, are you there? Oh, I think we lost Angela. Oh. Am I still on? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hello? Go ahead. Did you have a question? Yeah, I have another question. It's still James. Oh, same gentleman. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, just say I fill out the form. Using, okay. Which which uh, one? Wait, 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 wait. Which form? You got to specify form. What form are you talking about? For my authority. For your authority? As as, yeah, as far as getting the trucking company. Okay, I still don't know which form you're talking about. They they have forms to get your DOT number, register, and all of that. Oh, yeah, okay, a DOT uh, DOT registration form for your for your business. Correct. Okay, uh, so that that makes sense. Okay. All right. So if I put without uh, all rights reserved above my name on everything that I sign, does that somewhat protect me from damning? No. No, it's no? meaning. It's totally meaningless. Yeah. So what about non-assumption? Non-assumption's better because what non-assumption does is it, it means that you didn't promise to do what they say you promised to do. So if you're if they ever tried to use the signature against you, you could tell them that's not my signature, and right there's the qualification. See, people that get speeding tickets like the or traffic tickets like the gentleman earlier, when uh -huh. he was telling how the cop was putting the H next to the X on the thing. The first thing I do, if somebody says, you got to sign this, I always ask, what are the consequences of if I don't sign, just so I understand this? Oh, well, we're going to knock you over the head and take you to jail. Perfect. Give me the pen. 
non-assumption, and then my name. And then later on, do an affidavit and non-bonafide signature. They extorted it from you under duress. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds logical. <clears throat> because I think a lot of that paperwork you referred to says that you'll you'll abide by the vehicle and traffic regulations of the state and all that stuff. You know. Yeah, Federal Reserve uh, guidelines and rules and space. Oh, I don't know about that, but. If a form says that, tell them you need to read a copy of those guidelines before you can sign it. <laughs> you know? Right. I'd like to see those. You know, I, my mom always told me, don't sign nothing if you, without reading it. But I want to read that. Yeah, we have our safety book that so-called gives definitions of uh, what those rules are in the safety book. I've never seen them. People that sign up for bank accounts say, oh, yeah, I've read the Federal Reserve regulations. I agree to abide by them. Wait a minute. Where's my copy? You're right. Yeah, you know, like I said, majority of the rules that we have to go by are in the in the safety rules that we have. Well, did you have any other questions, sir, while you're on the call here? No, that that was it. Okay, All right. appreciate it. I'm, appreciate you chiming in here, Angela. Are you back on the call? Uh, I'm back. Talk to you, uh, not talk to you. Uh, Skype knocked me off, and I had to go through this, you know, login thing, but I do it 20 times, and it says, you know, it can't log me in right now, or whatever it says, there's an IO message, an error message, and I have to go to the Skype webpage and sign in there and turn off my Skype on my computer and then restart it, and it's crazy. It's like, I don't know why they had to update it. It was fine the way it was. But every time they do an update, I have to go through hoops to get normal, get it working normally. But anyway, there's well, another Bobby person. I, Bobby, you held on the phone while you were gone. So thank you, I appreciate it. I typed in the chat that I got kicked off. So you have to look in the chat every so often if you don't hear me, because I'm still on the computer. I typed in my, you know, saying Skype wouldn't let me in. Keep talking. We thought, <laughs> we thought we bored you to death and you went to sleep. No. no, I'm here. Okay, Captain Teddy Bear is back with another question. So you've been unmuted. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, I left a lot out for, for brevity, but uh, he did, the, the deputy did, in fact, threaten to take me to jail if I did not sign. And as a matter of fact, I didn't even want to sign. I wanted to turn it on the back and uh, write in and ask for clarification. But he knew he knew what I was going to try and do, and he took it away from me right quick. And he said, "You sign it. You you put something on there. You put your 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 signature, your mark, anything." And of course, that's yeah. when he said anything. I took him at his word, and I just put an X there. I already, I did put under duress there. I put uh, I put all rights reserved and and under duress. And uh, and then yeah, he, he yanked it back from me. He wouldn't let me put put anything on the reverse side for uh, seeking clarification. He just uh he just put that little H right there and then 
you know, yeah. gave me a copy, and and then they, you know, they did threaten me, threaten to take me to jail. I'm a firm believer in not pissing somebody off who's got the IQ of a piece of dirt, and they're carrying a gun. Okay, so yeah. I'll ask reasonable questions to get the answers I want. Like, what happens if I don't? Oh, he's going to take me to jail. No problem. Give me the pen. Not a subject, but when I get away from them, I do the affidavit and not modified signature. It's You're much better off. You're not going to teach these guys along the side of the road. All you're going to oh. do is pick them off and get them inflamed, and they're going to beat up on you like they did your buddy, you know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. He actually had me in the detention cell down in the courthouse. So, so I, you know, I was already... I was locked up, but they knew they couldn't actually take me to jail because I didn't have a legal name. I didn't have a social security number. They couldn't identify me under any legal name. Well, and they were they were really frustrated, you know. I didn't know I, I didn't want to sit in the detention cell too much longer. My guess is they couldn't take you to jail simply because you hadn't committed a crime. Yeah. I'm telling you. They, you know, that's the bottom line. They use fear, threats, and intimidation to get people to do what they want you to do. I know. You know? Oh, we're going to throw you in jail, and you'll be there for 30 days. I I hope the food gets better while I'm there, you know? It (laughs) kind of sucked last time. And just take it real easy. Don't get pissed, but have the appropriate paperwork waiting in the wings to pound them. Yeah. And... When you do that correctly, and they see that you're not scared of them, you're not threatening them or yelling at them, it's just whenever they screw up, you hammer them, and they'll leave you alone. Trust me. Yeah. Well, I was laughing at them. Seriously. I was I was treating it like a game while I was in detention because, you know, they were just, it's just the way they are, and they were doing all kinds of stuff. I said, you know, I said to myself, "Hey, you know, I can I can get these guys big time later on, you know, because they're they're committing all these crimes right in front of me, and they kept committing more and more crimes to cover up their previous crimes. After that, it's, it's just absolutely incredible. They kept handing okay. me well, evidence of the crimes. Thanks, we we appreciate it. That's a that's a good yeah. story. And we def- did you have a question that you wanted to ask Bobby or me? Oh, no, no, I just wanted to clarify that. But thank you very much for your time. No, we appreciate the clarification. Angela, did anybody else have a question they wanted to ask? I don't see any at the moment. Okay. Bobby, was there anything else you wanted to to bring up? Ooh, not really. That's a good good point you made right off the bat, though, folks. You know, if you're going to – because I've run across so many people that just – wanted to get out of the system and they didn't really do things in the proper order and they didn't protect uh, their assets before they jumped jumped out of the water. Um, well, Bobby's right. That's really a good first order of business. Just make sure you got everything uh, that's yours protected because uh, the bad guys, if there's a way for them to get their hands on it, they will. So do that as a first order of business before you do anything else. And, uh, you know, get online, do your research you know, talk to people like me and Bobby. There are lots of others in addition to us about what it's like and uh, what, what are the things you want to kind of be on the lookout for. But I can't, I can't imagine going back into the system. I've been out of it for so damn long. I just nice. It's like that line from if you ever saw that movie uh, 
Mission Impossible, uh, the one with uh, Tom Cruise, I think it was 95, 96, uh, where he's talking to, to that, uh, I think it was Vanessa Redgrave, and she says she loves anonymity. It's like a nice big warm blanket. Well, being out of the system is like that, like anonymity. Yeah. It's like kind of having a nice warm blanket. Um, I may get the occasional letter from uh, the occasional agency, but uh, uh, I respond accordingly, and that's usually I don't hear from them again for another couple of years. One other thing, too, that I want to add that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, being out of the system is, is maintaining your privacy. And I, I, I plugged this uh, – the service the last time I was here. I don't make any money by plugging it. I just, I like it and I'm using it now. Bobby is too. Uh, but uh, uh, taking control of your privacy, particularly as it relates to, to email, uh, there's a really good free email service out there now. Uh, it's called Proton Mail. And I mentioned this during the last call. Uh, Proton, like the opposite of electron, P R O T O N, P R O T O N. Uh, mail and it's uh, encrypted email that's available out of Switzerland, and their servers are all uh, all encrypted. Even the, the employees who work there can't access uh, the emails. It's uh, really a great system and it's free. And uh, I did a bunch of research uh, recently on Google, and I found out some very unpleasant things about Google that I don't like. Uh, for example, the seed money that uh, led to the creation of that company was uh, completely through intelligence agencies. Um, and when I read that, it's really quite, <laughs> it's all the makings of a, a real good Ian Fleming novel, to be perfectly candid. But when I found that out, I said, I'm going to distance myself from Google. So I'm no longer using Gmail. I don't even use their search engine anymore. I'm using Bing. Uh, that's the one I like now. I've even deleted Google from my, uh, from my favorites list. I'm just distancing myself from that company altogether. So um, yeah, that's something you can use to kind of get out of the system, maintain your privacy, uh, and it's free. And, again, I don't get paid to, to, to promote them on this call. I, I don't make anything. So go ahead, Bobby. Gmail, that Gmail crap the other week, right, I, I go to log in and I'm getting messages, oh, something's changed about the way you log in. You know, we need more information and this and that. And I, that kind of stuff pissed me off. So I clicked on their help thing and I got to send them a message and I told them quit trying to obtain more information about me under false pretenses. That was my suggestion for them to make it better. It's like I log in from my laptop at home every damn day nowhere else and they're going to tell me oh there's something different about the way you're logging in. Yeah right. So I went to Proton Mail too, and I like it. <laughs> and it's and it's nice too. There's even a way you can uh, you can encrypt. Uh, Bobby and I's our emails back and forth are automatically encrypted because we're both we both have Proton accounts. But if I wanted to send an email to somebody on this call, I could send it to you in an, an encrypted fashion. I would just have to uh, very likely text you the password. And then through some other means other than email, obviously, uh, just I could text you a password and that would enable you to open up an encrypted email. So you can even send encrypted emails with people who are not using the service. So uh, I can't, I really can't sing its praises. It's in beta still, folks, just as a caveat, caveat emptor, the, it, is a, it is in beta. So they're still working out the kinks, but uh, the kinks are, are, are very tolerable. There aren't many, and it's, uh, they just came out with a new version uh, I think earlier this week, Bobby, or maybe late last week. 
So I think we're both very pleased with it. And um, anyway, just wanted to let let that out there, uh, get that out there. So, Angela, any any questions? Anybody with anything to say? I don't see. Oh, here, Billy the kid has his hand up. There you go. You've been unmuted. You've been unmuted. Perhaps you I have them. There you go. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank I, you. Uh, How? I wasn't on earlier, but uh, these gentlemen keep saying uh, that we could contact them, but I did not see their contact information, and I'm not on the computer. I was just wondering if they could. Sure. Oh yeah, Yeah, let me give you my. Uh, I'll give you my office number, and then also my email uh, office number. And don't call me tonight, folks. Please, it's uh, almost uh, it's almost 11 o'clock here. I'm going to bed. The wife is already asleep, so. Please don't call me tonight, but uh, uh, you can call me tomorrow, leave a message, and I'll get back to you soon. Uh, home office is 440-835-6969. I'm going to put this up on the uh, chat here, too, just so you see it there. Uh, 440-835-6969. And then the email is BRIP, that's Bravo, Romeo, India, Papa. Uh, the number 66, two sixes, at Proton mail.ch.com, although I think com works now, doesn't it, Bobby? Oh, uh, I use ch, but yeah, I, I don't I think, think you can there's... do you can do com, but I, I do. I just give people the ch, but it's brip, b-r-i-p, p is in Papa, sixty-six at proton mail, m-a-i-l dot ch. All right, the, thank uh, you. Yeah, ch is if you wonder where the ch is, it's a country code. It stands for something Helvetia was the ancient Latin name for Switzerland because the servers are based in Switzerland, so that's what it's for. And where are you gentlemen located out of? Bobby is in upstate New York. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. All right. I just got on a little late, and I had... I just wanted to see where you guys were from and what the info Well, Angela Angela records the calls, uh, Billy, uh, so you can go back and listen uh, to the whole call if you want. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. I didn't know if you were giving it out earlier or not. Well, there you go. You got it now. So, yeah. Get it on live. Yep. If you guys want to talk, uh, give give me a call. be happy to talk to you. Just please don't do it tonight. (laughs) It's been a long day. That was it, Angela. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Angela, you okay. want to wrap it up? It's about five minutes before the top of the hour. Do you want to put a put a bow on it now? Yeah, we can end it. Um, I want go ahead and um, um, let me see here. Hold on a second. I want to read uh, Rocco's letter at the end of the call. So, if you guys want to leave, fine. If you want to stay and listen, that's fine too. I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing your information with us. It's always an, a learning experience when you come on. I appreciate well, it. On behalf of Bobby, we do appreciate uh, you letting us come and talk to you and all the folks who are on the chat and who are listening. Thank you very much, all of you. It's, it's our pleasure. If there's anything thank you. we can do, if you ever want to talk, you know, we're very accessible. Um, we'd be happy to talk to you. So, Thanks, Angela. Um, I'm thank going to call it a day, okay? So, Bobby, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Okay. Right. Hey, Clark, thanks yeah. for carrying most of the load tonight. I'm really not in good shape for talking. No, Bobby, I, I think you carried most of the loads. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I too appreciate it. So, Angela, sure. thanks for having us on, and thank you to all the listeners. Thank you, Bobby. Okay, have a good night. Take care of that cold. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye, bye folks.
Okay, I got a letter here from Rocco Vanzetti. I mentioned it when we started the call, but I didn't have the proper address. I couldn't read the writing. But uh, let me read this real quick. <clears throat> Those of you that remember Rocco, he used to come on our chat all the time. He had his own call with uh, Bo, uh, Bo Knows Entertainment. Uh, on Wednesdays, they had the Bo and Rocco show on um, Freedom Slips. Now it's... Bo and Tammy Peppermint, I, I believe they're still doing it. But anyway, I got this letter March, well, it's dated March 16th from Rocco. He goes, Angela, I am so glad I finally got your contact information. This took a lot of effort. Things are quite the challenge to accomplish in here. I really miss hearing your voice and the camaraderie of the chat. My cell E... That's the person I guess he sell, uh, shares his cell with. Had to go through great lengths to make this letter possible. Everything has a high price in here. Excuse me. <clears throat> My cell E is cool, and he got he goes out of his way for me, sharing and treating me as a guest. We have a cell contract, so now I have some permanence with my location and situation. This arrangement should run to at least December of this year. I guess they have a, some kind of an agreement or something. And they have a cellmate. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, <clears throat> he goes on, I really want to talk to you. Anyone who wants to talk by phone with me has to set up a prepaid phone account by contacting Secure us, that's S-E-C-U-R-U-S, and the number is 800-844-6591. Um, just a second. Okay, again, that's secure us, S-E-C-U-R-U-S, at 800-844-6591. And that's to set up a prepaid phone account to talk to uh, Rocco Vanzetti. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, okay, continuing. He goes, I will not sign anything that makes the Department of Corrections an agent for me. So I didn't sign to receive mail in the name of Robert Larson. That's Rocco's given name, I guess. Um <clears throat> Robert Richard is the lawful name on the public record. My cellie has agreed to receive mail for me. To send me mail, send it to Kenneth Ingersoll. That's I-N-G-E-R-S-O-L-L. And then the number sign or the pound sign, 37 0717. I guess that's his, his, I don't know what you call it, inmate number, right? I'll say it again. It's 370717. And then the the address is Racine Correctional Institution. That's R-A-C-I-N-E, Correctional Institution. P.O. Box 900. Milwaukee West, P 
P.O. Box 900, Milwaukee West, Sturtevant, Wisconsin, and I'll spell that S-T-U-R-T-E-V-A-N-T, Sturtevant, Wisconsin, and the zip code is 53177-900. That's the address to mail letters or you know, scans or whatever to Rocco. Um, if you want to, if you want to send me funds, just mail to PO Box 909 instead. Postal money orders only. But I think we should write to him and uh, find out how you want he wants it sent. Because if this guy Kenneth Ingersoll gets it, I guess you want to write. Write them ahead of time and let them know you're going to be sending something and, and wait for a response back. I mean, I don't know. But if Rocco trusts him, I guess you guys, too, says it here. I I hate to ask for funds, but they do feed us poorly. And the only cure or temporary relief, I should say, is to order food from the canteen here. I don't want to be a nuisance but I was hoping you could give a shout out on your show to prompt people to give me to give to me if they felt so led to do so. I also would like to get reading material and updates. People can send in material right from their printers, pictures included, or scanned images rather. <clears throat> I have access to interlibrary loan requests. I've never heard of that before. Interlibrary loan requests here. I just need the title and author of the book desired. Two books that I need, the name and author of, are located at www.ncic.com. That's National Consumer Law Center, the name of the company. These are soft cover books. One is a book on the FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, and the FDCPA, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. If you could look up the titles and authors for me so I can loan them it would be greatly appreciated. I would also like to be able to call in for your show. I hope you write back soon. Love, Rocco. P.S. Tell everyone I miss them. I have written Bo and Tammy, but I haven't received a response. Or I haven't received responses. P.S.S. I miss you and your show like you can't even imagine. Aw. All right, so write to Rocco. And uh, <clears throat> set up a phone call with him if you want. If you, uh, What I'll do is if you go to the guest speakers page, I mean tonight or tomorrow, I'll get around to doing this. Go to the guest speakers page, and his name will be there under Rocco Vanzetti. You click on that, and I'll have this information and contact information posted so that you can come back and get it later. And write to him, please. Send him money if you can. 
I feel so bad for him there. Maybe we can get him out. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's really done any harm. You know, it's one of those, he's in there, but he hasn't, there's no injured party. Oh, but anyway, all right. So um, you got uh, Bart Ripple's email and his phone number. It's also in the chat. If you go to the chat transcript archives, you can, you know, download it and get all this information on here. Um, I guess that's it. Um, Does anybody else have anything to say? If not, I'm going to close out the call and uh, call it a night, I guess. Do it again next Thursday. I don't have anyone scheduled at this point in time, but, uh, you know, we'll leave it up to God and see who he sends us. (laughs) Oh, you know what else? Oh, wait, I want to ask one more thing that I forgot. Um, if anyone has used anyone in particular's methodology and found success with it, or failure for that matter, please email me and let me know. Just put the name of the person's method you're using in the subject line and let me know. I want to start taking testimonies of people. You know, like Dan Benham, I get a lot of people asking me, you know, has anything he's, you know, taught worked? And I don't know because no one ever sends me anything saying, hey, this worked for me and it was so-and-so's methodology and so forth. So if you have used anyone's methods and found success, let me know and I'll post it. I'm going to start a, a section on testimonies, testimonials, so that uh, we can see what works and what doesn't, and onward and upward from there, right? Okay. Um, let me see what's here in the chat. Please donate. Oh, yes. Please donate to Angela. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, I get so many emails from y'all. and Oh, that reminds me also. I don't belong to Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or any of those. I never have. I never will. I think I joined LinkedIn momentarily to look up the notary that signed some documents, which was very useful because she lied about her. She said she was the... what so vice president of the bank or something on my documents and she really wasn't but anyway i got out of linkedin as soon as i got in so i don't belong to any of those things i don't know if my nails my name is up there or what but uh don't invite me because i don't belong um Okay, I guess that's it. That's let's see, it's two minutes, two hours, five minutes. Yeah, we haven't gone that far. But, um, I hope you had a good time tonight. I hope you learned something, and um, we'll talk again next Thursday. Uh, have a great weekend. Um, maybe I'll catch you on Carl's call this Saturday. So I like to I like to listen to those calls, and um, also Gus has his call on Wednesday and. Um, Mike has his call, I believe. What is it? Friday or Monday? Hmm, I forget. We have to look it up on the talk sheet page. Oh, Monday. Thank you. Mike's calls on Monday. (laughs) 
And uh, we'll see you next Thursday. Okay, everybody, good night. I love you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.